This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about Acts 9, and recording today looks a little bit different. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Um, Honestly, I kind of wish we could record like this all the time. It's better for our staff. It's easier. Uh, We got no video. We're only recording one episode. Um, Easter is always, I mean, Easter is a massive weekend for any church. It's literally the reason that we exist. And we already put out five pieces of unique content every week. No, this week for Easter, we put out a sixth piece, uh, all a hundred percent original content with a not so good Friday. Uh, if I can be honest, I think we're all just pretty beat and, uh, yeah be nice to have a, a week to kind of recover so we're gonna do one this one a closer look and so in full honesty and transparency we slouching it <laughs> yeah uh i mean it's okay though it's good sometimes to have a little oh. bit of a break and oh yes and this yes. week it, we both really needed a break mm-hmm. um so here we are just recording a closer look the most casual way I think we've ever recorded a podcast, and it's great. We've got McDonald's sitting on the table. It's great. I've got whiskey and Coke sitting next to me. We're chilling. It's a vibe. I love it. I wish we recorded this way all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's also 1030 at night on Easter Sunday. Yeah. We've been running Easter egg hunts and doing all the things. So, yeah. But uh, I still have more work to do. Yay. <laughs> yeah, me too. I got to edit this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's jump into this. Let's do it. Um, the first thing that I think you should know about this text is chapter 9 opens with Luke drawing your attention to the fact that Saul the Ravager, Saul this person from the end of chapter 7 and chapter and the beginning of chapter 8, uh, that person still exists. He is still breathing out threats and murdering people and asking to continue to ravage the church like that guy from those previous chapters is still that same guy now luke is doing a very good job of drawing that out for us and then he says that saul asked for letters to go to damascus so that he can continue persecuting people there yeah like this is a bad dude this is like it's like a dude that's just like literally on a mission, like cannot stop, power hungry, must demolish the Christians, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Anyone who follows the way, once he's out on Jerusalem, he's like, "Hey, let me go to Damascus. Yep. Like, let me go to the next place. Let me let me snuff these people out for you." That's the vibe I get from Paul. Yeah. Um, or Saul as we know him here. Uh, it's just because we know this is Hebrew context. Yeah. No, Remember, I know. What it says at the end of this, he's going to be my instrument to the Gentiles. Yep. He's called Paul because that's his Greek name. Yeah. Saul is his Hebrew name. So <clears throat> then the text says in verse 3, 
Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Clayton, what stands out to you about that text? So there's lots of things that stand out to me about that text, but um, the most notable thing is the um, why do you persecute me part. Why? Um, I think it's just a very interesting uh, question and way of putting it that Jesus is is trying to convey here. Um, that every member of the church that you arrest, that you kill, it's a part of me. And you're killing a part of me every time you do that. Why? Why? <laughs> Why is it a part of him? Mm-hmm. Why can Jesus say that? Paul, Saul actually never laid a hand on Jesus of Nazareth, the person. So why can Jesus say that? Why can Jesus ask Saul of Tarsus, why are you persecuting me? Yeah, well, we talked about it this morning in our well. Um, Don't know what the, Mm -hmm. or in the Mont Bellevue well. We didn't talk about, I don't know what the conversation was in the Dallas well, but um, this morning we were talking about um, the church being a part of Jesus because they are participating in life um, or anybody that is participating in life. If I'm remembering what you were trying to convey correctly, that's what you were trying to say. But anytime that a life is taken, it's persecuting Jesus as well. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of there for me. The way that I kind of think about it is, Jesus can say that Jesus can say that Saul is persecuting Jesus because of the reciprocity of what happens on the cross. Remember, Jesus takes on sin and death. Right. And taking on all of it in order to offer life if you if you do that there's an exchange that happens yeah jesus has taken something of mine and offered something of his that that some would call it life some would call it human flourishing but that It's really nothing more simply than that. Jesus took the terrible parts of my existence and replaced them with this new thing, this flourishing thing. Um, But Jesus can say, why do you persecute me? Because when he takes that, when he takes sin and death, he brings us back to the fullness of what we were designed to be in our image of God. The growing back into the image of God as Jesus takes and removes blemishes and sin and death is, quote-unquote, the fullness of life. If you were, For me, if you were looking for a reason why Jesus can say, why do you persecute me? It's because he has taken 
these experiences of death from us and exchange them for life, which pushes us back to our origins as being made in the image and likeness of God. Got you. Um, The other thing that I think should really be like just glaring at listeners about this text is the language of persecution. Yeah. Persecution is a language of power. That is a power metaphor. Only people of power have the ability and capacity, excuse me, and capacity to persecute someone. Excuse me. You have to be more powerful and hold more privilege and authority over someone in order to be in a position to persecute them. Yeah. I said it in my story yesterday that this entire book of Acts is a metaphor of being filled with the Holy Spirit, power everywhere, the message of Jesus, the continuation of all of it, the language of Saul, the language of the temple police, the common purse, all of it, all of these metaphors and motifs, all about power, and yet we seem to so easily overlook it. Hmm. I mean, how many... Let me, let me rephrase. I'm not going to ask this as a question. Um, I know many of pastors who think they're real powerful. That's a problem. It's a problem that there are pastors in the world that are on first-name basis with politicians. It's a problem that power exists in the church. Christianity I'm convinced it cannot be a religion of powerful people. It can't. It's a religion of persecuted people. Our king is literally humiliated. We can't be a people of power. If we are a people of power, we do stupid stuff like Saul does. Like persecute the co- persecute the church according to our own zeal. But that's against the message of Jesus. And so I think all of this, all of this truth is being communicated in these very first few short two, three verses here in chapter nine. Sorry, five verses. Verse six continues. But get up and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Okay, let's also take a minute and talk about this. When Paul later talks about this, he seems to think that he met the person Jesus. That like resurrected Jesus stood before him. Yeah. So he says in 1 Corinthians 15 uh, at the very end, and also to me. Paul seems to think that he met the actual person of Jesus. Yeah. Um, But Acts says that those other people with him just heard the voice. They didn't see the person. Yeah. Um, This is a great example of postmodern epistemology. Are you ever going to convince Paul that he did not come face to face with the risen Jesus? No. No. Are you ever going to convince them the other people that watched, that he did. Maybe. 
It's going to be a far cry. They never saw a person. They heard a voice. No. They saw the light. They never saw a person. It's going to be real hard. Yeah. This is also, and the only reason I bring this up is because when Paul speaks about this time in his life, we talked about this in our gathering this morning, but when Paul speaks about this time in his life in Philippians 3, um, Paul seems to be top dog. Mm-hmm. The way that Acts introduces him at the stoning of Stephen, Paul seems to be pretty darn close near top dog. This is how Philippians 3 describes him. Even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the very first commandment of a Jewish boy that's supposed to be fulfilled. A member of the people of Israel, ethnic inclusion in the chosen people of God. Of the tribe of Benjamin, the fact that he's connected to Israel enough to know his tribe, right? Not that he's just traveled around with him, but he's connected to the history of Israel enough to know his tribe. A Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, the highest office of the law. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless all of these people paul top dog are just top top dog jewish dudes trying to make it up the corporate ladder for the sake of judaism or whatever um isn't that what we're all doing Hmm. isn't that what america is yeah isn't it the pursuit of power and more? And it seems like there is always something better that we could have. Correct. And usually yeah. in the pursuit of something more. You um, have to oppress other people. You got to step on other people. You got to step on other people to get there. Yeah. Unfortunately, whether we want to admit it or not, uh, Saul of Tarsus is each and every one of us. You may have never raised the knife that killed someone, but yeah, we absolutely have no problem stepping on people to get to the next ring up the ladder of where we're trying to go. We're all Saul. And that's why I love this story. Picking up in verse 10. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, He answered, here I am, Lord. Stop. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Mm. Any thoughts, any memories of where that comes from? Um, Prophet. Yep. Isaiah. You got it. You got it. I think you should get Isaiah vibes here. God asked Isaiah to do some crap Isaiah wasn't really wanting to do. Yeah. 
and lots of time God asked Isaiah to do stuff without much of a like an explanation of why he wanted him to do it. Yeah. I think you should get some Isaiah vibes right now. Ananias, and you're about to see it and hear it in his voice. Ananias is afraid. Yeah. You should get some Isaiah vibes. You should catch that hyperlink. Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. If I can carry the metaphor that we're all Saul of Tarsus, doing it according to our own zeal, whatever, right? However you want, however deep, deeply you want to carry the metaphor. Um, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem? Let me say. This is not a political podcast. I'm not going to get political. I'm just going to tell you how I read that. Um, I think we're all implicit in some evil based on the way we vote our politics. I think, pause, I think we are all implicit in evil, period. Correct. Correct. I think how you vote your politics could be a part of that. No, definitely a part of that. I don't yeah. care which side you vote on. No matter which side you vote on, you definitely are complicit in evils in your politics. The Fair re- enough. The reason that I bring that up is because we seem to be okay with it. Yeah. I think that's part of the problem. You try to justify whatever side you're voting on. Well, and how do you justify it? You justify it in comparison to how terrible you think the other side is. Mm. This is stupid. These are conversations of death. Yeah. This this stupid conversation of, oh, well, my side's right because theirs is worse. These are conversations of death. If if you want to have that conversation, what what I as a pastor would like to ask you is, how does my position on this help the vulnerable? Mm. How does my position on this affect the immigrant? How's my position on effect, on this affect homelessness? Yeah. And why do I feel that way? If your answer is because it makes me more money or I pay less in taxes, I'm not sure that's a great reason. That seems like perpetuation of evil. Greed, isn't, I mean, isn't that part of it? No. Yeah, I, there's a balance here, and I'm not, I'm not trying to convict or shame anybody here, but I, I, do, I do want... On a day where we're celebrating life, I do want us to be very much aware in the ways in which we perpetuate death. Um, today, if you follow me on Instagram, um, I put out that this is a day that I'm very conflicted about because it's absolutely a day where we're supposed to celebrate resurrection and life. Um, but unfortunately, it's also a day marred by lots of experiences of death for me. Because when I pick up this Bible and I read this story of resurrection, the first thing I notice is that the first preachers of the resurrection were women. And yet one of the first things men in the church did was tell them they couldn't preach, tell them they couldn't speak, 
we immediately, on our own story, chose death over life. Yeah. We got to stop that. Mm. Life, love, flourishing, they must win. If they don't win, we're, I mean, what the heck are we even doing here? They must win. They must be more than enough. I was thinking about that earlier today in a very different context. Um, but we still got more text to get through here, and we're, we're a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. So, verse 14. So, all this evil he's done in your sight, or done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately... Something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. And he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. You know, the second half of that text, I really never know what to do with. I, honestly, I, I've never seen somebody go blind from a divine encounter. And because I've never seen that, I've definitely never seen scales or something like scales fall from their eyes. You know what I think about? I think Paul, like what I picture in my brain, Paul had something, had some like gnarly pink eye or something like that. Maybe. I mean, um, I don't honestly, but that's what I picture. I, yeah, I don't know. I've never seen that. But what I can tell you is just like in Paul's story. As I told you earlier, I think we are all Paul. Yeah. I think all of our quote-unquote conversion stories feel very similar to Paul. They're messy and unexplainable because they're not meant to be. They're unique to you. They're your unique encounter with Jesus. And that's why Paul can say, I met Jesus. Yeah. The risen Jesus. He appeared to me. But nobody else around can know that. Nobody else can else affirm that. This is not really their place. Your relationship with Jesus is your business. The way in which you encounter the risen Jesus is your business. Um, faith in a life of faith is kind of messy at times. It doesn't always fit in a nice pretty box. Um, and sometimes there are things we can't explain. And you know what? Isn't that the beauty of Easter Sunday? Isn't that the beauty of life and human flourishing?